Hello and welcome to this Life Changes podcast. You are now listening to one of our Sunday messages. If you'd like to know more about Life Changes, you can visit us on Facebook, Twitter or Instagram. Now lean in and enjoy. It was really, really good to have you all here this morning. A huge privilege to be together in church. If we have not met, my name is Gabe Phillips, and uh, I'm married to that lady who was speaking just now, uh, Fiona, and uh, we've been married for four years now, and uh, as she mentioned, our baby is one in two weeks' time, which is so exciting. Just realizing, I'm getting old. It's amazing. Uh, It's amazing. But it's really, really good to be together. Just some context of what, where we are. We're in the middle of a series called Move the Mountains, and last week, if you were here, last weekend, we had the faith conference. We had this couple who came in from Doha. We, we felt in God to get this couple here, not to impress us, not to wow us and go, wow, that was great. How cool for them. Or wow, one day, one day when. No, we got that couple in to stir our hearts for what God wants to do with us now. We really believe that the, the stories that they told, the testimonies they told of salvations, of healings, of, of going to nations, of stepping out of comfort zones, that is our reality now. And we really believed, uh, trusting that they weren't just show ponies and even go, amazing. But actually, God would start to open up wells in our heart to believe, actually, use me as well, God. So that's what, where we are, and we're so excited about that. And, uh, and actually, this morning, we, we felt to, to mine one text in particular, I'll get to it now, but there's a story I love to tell whenever I get to a passage of Scripture in my Bible that reminds me of who I'm called to be, who the church is called to be. There's a story I remind myself is I was born a redhead. I came out the womb like this, flaming red. This is like, that's, uh, they knew I was here. And, uh, and if you know, I, I, as I grew up, you, the, the abuse started at a young age. Young guys who have radio seem to get, uh, just attract a lot of abuse. And, um, I don't know why. You know, maybe South Park telling people we have no souls. We have souls. Promise you that. But, but you know, and you get into that rhythm. And, and when I got into my awkward teenage years, the thing that set me apart and made me distinct, my red hair, I was like, I don't want to be set apart. I don't want to be distinct. I just want to blend in as a teenager. That's what I wanted. So what I started to do was I moved, uh, I started to get my pocket money, and I, I look back with shame now. I used to go into pick and pay aisles and buy cheap hair dye. Yep, I did. That's what I did. And I'd do it myself, and, I, and, I, and it was always quite a shock. And my, my family were very generous and gracious, but um, they're always like, no, nah, it looks interesting. Just dark hair, very pale. So for a number of years in my teenage years, you can't see me in the photos. It just disappeared. But um, it, was, it was one of those things. But there came a moment, you know, as, as something that I've realized, and all the ladies here probably might understand, me and all the ladies, we get it, is there comes a moment where after a while, people start looking and going, what, what's going on there? Beneath the dark hair that was there, the regrowth starts to come through. And it starts to look like hidden tiger, crouching dragon. You know, just like this tiger in the mist. This, this, the orange starts to pop through. And it's a phrase that no one likes to hear, your roots are showing. And I, and I, I say that it's just as a, a little thing, but actually I've realized more and more as I've matured a bit, and I started to realize that actually this is what sets me apart. This is what got the attention of my wife. That's why she fell for me. Come on. But then I realized this is the DNA that God has made me with, Actually, the immaturity of teenagers of covering up, actually, your roots are showing is not a thing of, of shame. It's actually your roots are showing. This is who you're called to be. And actually, for too long, I believe, as a church, uh, that we, we end up settling. As individuals, we end up settling for just 
hiding and just coasting through when God has called us out. And there's a passage of scripture we're going to get to this morning. Acts chapter 1 verse 6 to 8. And there's, not, there's two or three of them in the Bible where I've written your roots are showing above them to remind me this is who I am. This is who we are. So I pray that we'll be reminded of that today and we'll step into more and more of what God has for us. So why don't we stand to our feet? We're going to read three verses of scripture. Acts chapter 1 verse 6 to 8. Just while we do that, just want to let you know there's, a, there's an amazing team behind the screen today. Kimmy and Hunter. Hello. <laughs> They're doing the projection from the back there. And I just want to say, well done. We love you guys. Just, it's, it's going well out here. Good. Just so I'll let you know. This is, this is what service is, behind the scenes. Amazing people. But we're going to read the scripture together with faith in our hearts. This is... The the disciples meeting with the resurrected Christ, the first chapter of Acts, says this from verse 6. So when the apostles were with Jesus, they kept asking him, Lord, has the time come for you to free Israel and restore our kingdom? He replied, the Father alone has authority to set those dates and times, and they are not for you to know. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, in Ireland, and to the ends of the earth. i just put that in there for you guys. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for these three verses of Scripture, which are, are short, easy to read, but I thank you, Father God, as we lean into it this morning, would you remind us of who we are and whose we are? I thank you, God, would there be an utmost confidence in our heart that no matter how we walked in here today, we would walk out with confidence. If we walked in limping, if we walked in emotionally scarred, if we walked in broken, if we walked in hurting, would we leave today as your word comes to remind us your roots are showing? Would we leave with our shoulders back and reminded of the call that you've given us? I'd also love to pray, God, for the Proteus batsmen today. Help them. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. I mean, why don't you take a seat? Just, we're going to work our way through this text very quickly this morning. But before we get to point one, I'd love just to set up in verse six, the story starts. And the disciples, these young guys, they can imagine, this is just on the back of Jesus died. They were like, ah, this thing's all falling apart. Then Jesus rises to the dead and they're like, we're back on. And this is even better than before. And verse 6, they're so excited. It says, verse 1 to 5, if you go read it before, what word precedes it. Jesus talking about the kingdom of God. He, sp- he spends time with them. And they get, they're like, I can always these guys, they're, they're like hearing Jesus, but they're like, they've got this question. They want to ask Jesus. They go, Jesus, is it now? Now is the time. Is it now? Now that you're raised from the dead, now you're going to restore the kingdom to us. Now we're going to take those Romans and we're going to smash them. We've got the resurrected Christ. They're so excited. Verse 6, they say, Lord, is it now? Basically, they're saying, What's the next step, Jesus? Tell us. We, we're ready to go. We back you. We're with you, Jesus. You lead us. We're excited. And then Jesus does this amazing thing where he says, he answers them in verse 7. He says, times and dates are not for you to know. So actually, it's not for you to know when I'm going to restore the kingdom in fullness. They didn't fully get it. But he said, there are some things you do need to know. Jesus says in verse 7, there's some, you don't need to know the times and dates. Don't be preoccupied about that. But you do need to know some things in verse 8 that I'm going to tell you. I, I love that, just understanding this context. And then Jesus rolls out what it would be like. He, he tells people what it would be like to be a Christian without him physically being around. Because Jesus says, I'm going. So this is exciting. They're like, Jesus, we are, we're going to follow you. And Jesus says, okay, cool, I'm leaving. What? what? What do you mean? 
So he says, here's basically, here's what it looks like, the prototype of being a Christian without me physically being here. He, this is the roots of where you and I, our story of how we are supposed to operate as Christians. And I want to say this, that never has a more important assignment been left to a less qualified group of people. It was the, the, the birth of the church. Jesus leaves to a bunch of very insecure, very inadequate fishermen and followers who, who had just betrayed him a few days earlier. Emotionally roller coaster filled guys. He goes, This assignment is you. I'm going to remind you who you are called to be. One of my theses this morning I want to remind us is that this scripture that's given is in Acts chapter 1, not in Acts chapter 28 at the end of the book. This is on day one of Jesus being raised. This is day one of the church being birthed. Jesus gives this mission to the Christians, to the disciples. So I want my thesis this morning is this is what we are saved into, not what we graduate into. Everything that follows from now on, what I'm going to say is, this is what you and I are saved into, not what we graduate into. So if you want to know what it is called to be a Christian, if you're here today and you're saying, I'm just looking and I'm not sure about this faith thing, if, or if you've been a Christian for a long time, you've got a bit murky, I want to tell you what it is to be a Christian. Baseline. Not the mature Christian, but a Christian. Because this is what Jesus says on day one. Are you guys ready for that? You ready for this? Here we go. Three points. Number one, out of this text, it'll be on the screen behind me, is this. According to Jesus, you and I have power. Not my words, His, Jesus. The verse says this, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Now, when I read this, it doesn't say in my Bible, it doesn't say you shall receive power when you get really spiritual. It doesn't say you will receive power when you get mature in Christ. It doesn't say you will receive power when a specific somebody prays for you. It doesn't say you'll receive power when revival comes. No, no, it says you will receive power. You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Now, I love this understanding because when it says power and Holy Spirit, the link, the word power there in Greek is dunamis. It just sounds explosive. Dunamis. That's what it means. Dynamite. Explosive power of God. So Jesus was saying, you shall receive the explosive power of God when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Now, let me help you because I've read this many times before. But actually, the Bible's not just, it's not just all over the show. Jesus' words here in Acts 1 are very similar to God the Father's words in Genesis 1. Actually, what, is, what all scholars believe is happening is the same creative language that was spoken in Genesis 1 is now being spoken again in Acts 1. Why? Because what was birthed in creation is now being birthed in something called new creation. New creation. Sons and daughters of God being made new. And it's the same language. If you go study the two, Genesis 1, Acts 1, there's Jewish audiences understand. They go, yes, that makes sense. I understand why Jesus would say that here. There's a whole link. We've got to understand the playoff between these two scriptures, the creation versus new creation accounts. And actually the scripture says, the Holy Spirit shall come upon you. You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Now, a great understanding. If you want to understand that word come upon you, often, I, I, I don't know, I got restricted to this understanding the Holy Spirit will come upon you like this, this moment. Dude, he's on me now. Whoa, 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 whoa. Oh, he's gone. Understanding of those words, you, there's three synonyms you can use. And it's, it's the same words that is used at Jesus' baptism when the Holy Spirit comes upon Jesus the first time. It says the Holy Spirit will come upon you, will come, another word is will come towards you, or number three, will come into you. 
You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, towards you, or into you. What is this speaking about? The, Jesus is saying to his disciples, when the Holy Spirit comes, you'll have authority come upon you. When, you. when the Holy Spirit comes, He'll come towards you. That means favor, because actually for a long time, the, the Spirit of God would not come to you. You would have to come to God. But the Spirit of God came to you, meaning favor. And the Holy Spirit will come into you, meaning union. God will come and make His house with you. This is much more loaded than just some, some charismania moment. I don't know if you've been in the background where you've watched maybe too much Christian TV and just like, whoa, that stuff's weird. No, this is day one of the church. You have power when the Holy Spirit shall come upon you. There's a man named Smith Wigglesworth who was a plumber, plumber by profession. He loved God, but he was a plumber, and, uh, and, and he served God faithfully as a plumber, and he saw amazing things, and he was, uh, he was a faithful man. But for a long period of his life, whenever somebody was sick, there was, a, there was a place in Leeds, just down the road, which seemed to have something of the power of God. He was like, I love God, but there's something of the power missing. So he says, he read in the Bible, he said, people get healed when you pray for them. But he said, I, I just don't feel that in me. So he used to get little, pack of sick people into his car and drive all the way to Leeds to get them prayed for. And, then, and people like, he was like, I'll do this faithfully for God. Amazing, amazing thing. But then, so one day those people in Leeds said, we're going to come and do a little meeting in your area. That's awesome, he said. You guys come. Brilliant. I'll bring the sick people. And uh, that day, when the fateful day was, they got there and the, the team didn't arrive. All the sick people were there and the team didn't arrive. And he was so stressed. You know, it was the day before WhatsApp. He didn't know what, what's going on. Should we wait? And actually, that kick-started his journey when he realized that actually, if I don't pray for him, no one's going to pray for them. And it was only at the age of 48 that he actually got filled with the Holy Spirit and realized that God, the Spirit came upon him. He realized who the Spirit of God was inside of him that kick-started his ministry in a dramatic fashion. And this man, Smith Wigglesworth, I would love to go and tell story of the story. Go and Google it. It's just a freak, freaky stories, amazing stories of man stepping out. But I love this man's agenda. When In later time, they said, Smith Wigglesworth, this is a man who raised, they, um, noted 14 people from the dead. This, that's credited. They credited, they medically credited this man, 14 people being raised from the dead. One story Rob Water told of this man, Smith Wigglesworth. He said, Smith Wigglesworth was invited to a house where there was a dead person. Somebody had died. And, it was, and the, the woman said, come and console me and my family. We all, they said, no, no, I want to come pray for the dead person. They're like, that's not what pastors are supposed to do. Supposed to come and like, have tea with us and tell us it's going to be okay. And he says, no. And, and he walked into the, he said, can you shut the door? And he left it with the dead person there who'd been dead for three days. He lifted the body up and said, come alive! And shook the person. It's quite a, not a thing you usually do. Don't, don't find this in the pastor man, ma- manual, you know, the handbook. And the, no, nothing happened. Drop the guy. Second time. Come alive! Drop the guy down. Nothing on the bed. Third time, he shook him. Come alive! Breath came into this guy. And two men walked out of that room. Just like stories like that. I'm going, my faith is like, I don't know about that. That's crazy stuff. But this is the guy, there's stories that follow him of healing, sicknesses leaving, demons being kicked out. Stories of power. And I love what I, about this man. Is years later, he said, tell us about what happened. He said, well, actually, I've got four rules in my life. Number one, I read the Bible. They said, that, that sounds good. He said, number two, I consume it until it consumes me. He said, number three, I believe the Bible. And he said, number four, I act on the Bible. And I just love that. Because for so long, I think there's been this uh, opposing reality of, no, I'm a, I, I'm a guy of the Spirit. 
but I'm a guy of the word. I, I'm more, more cerebral. I read the Bible. Well, actually, you cannot read the Bible and not believe it and see stuff happen. If you believe the Bible is the word of God, then, stuff, then power has to follow. Because here's the understanding for you and I is that I believe that everything we see in Scripture, I want to see it today. Everything. And here's my challenge to my own unbelieving heart is don't, I've said it many times to myself, don't let, don't lower the word of God to the level of my experience. Rather, raise my experience to the level of the word of God. Too often I'm measuring what I believe, what the word of God says, what I've seen or what I've done. When actually God says, no, 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 will you trust me? Will you trust me? Believe me. Raise my experience up. There's a, a story I love to tell is years ago when I was at university, um, I had a bunch of friends and we started to believe this. We started to believe that we had power. It, doesn't mean, it wasn't necessary that we had it all figured out because it doesn't say once you figured it out, then you receive power. We hadn't. But we started to actually believe that actually what the Bible says is true. So we had with love in our hearts, we were in our university, our campus, we started to pray for sick people. And uh, they got, in a couple of weeks, they got so much momentum that actually people started to come to us because they said, you the guys praying for sick people. And we're like, this is amazing. And incredible stuff happening. So much so to the one extent where a lady came to us and said, listen, you the guys praying for people. I said, yes, please can you come? I need you to pray for my friend. This is university. Okay, so we followed all the way through some corridors, said up these stairs around the corner. And they said, oh, cool, just before you walk in, please take off your shoes. I'm like, okay, I don't know where you are. And as I opened the door, I realized we walk into a big sign saying the Bhakti Yoga Society. And as we walk in, it's the Hindu uh, headquarters of the university. Posters, little, little um, seven-armed gods on the right. And I just walk in, a little statue. I'm not even exaggerating. And I remember walking going, okay. I don't know if I'm, I don't know if I should be really, what I should be doing in here. Good Christian boy, shouldn't be here, you know. And I remember I went and got introduced to a friend. And a friend said, no, uh, she's, got, she's got anemia and she's really, really sick. So I was like, I didn't even know what anemia was. Wasn't too sure, but I said, I can pray. So we prayed, and the school just started to weep and weep and weep as we prayed. Just the love of God started to come as I just started to pray who God was and who God want, wanted to be to her. And as we prayed, I realized as I'm praying, I'm realizing everyone else who had been holding the, 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 the beads, the whole a bunch of guys praying around the corner holding the Hindu beads, had stopped and were watching this. And I realized as I'm praying, I'm leaning on one of the Hindu statues as I'm praying, just for support. You know? So, you know, Lord. And, and I just started to realize, actually, there's no fear. There's no separation. Actually, this is real. It's in the Bible. This is what happens when believers believe who God has called them to be. And actually, the amazing thing was a couple of weeks later, she came, that girl came running up to the university saying, I've gone to the doctor and my anemia has left me. Just, I started going, actually, God's not a respect of persons. He's not, he's not going, actually, no, once you leave Bhakti Yogi, no. He's saying, actually, my power is here. You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. This is who you and I are. Our roots are showing. Luke 24 verse 49 says it this way. You'll be clothed with power from on high. And this is something I want to let you know. That doesn't mean we're going to be feeling it all the time. I tell you this. Most, anybody who tells you they feel like they've got power, feel like they're loved. There's some days when I just know it. I don't feel every day that Fiona loves me, loves me, loves me like we first did the first day. I don't feel it but I know it. And actually, this is the understanding with God is that he's clothed us. He's put power on us. We have to start to become aware of it and we learn this journey that we become more and more aware of what we carry inside of us. 
Martin Lloyd-Jones, a famous preacher, he says this way, a great example of relationship with Christians and the Holy Spirit. He says it's like a child walking down the street with their father, holding their hand, the dad's hand, just walking down, knowing that they know that he is with them and that they're secure in his love. So secure. Said every, but every hundred meters or so, the dad will turn to them and pick them up and spin them around, kiss them on their forehead and say, I love you so much. And this thrill of emotion will come over the child. And the child's like, wow, dad. And the dad will put him down and he'll start walking down the road again. See, that's what it's like to walk with the Holy Spirit. It's saying, actually, the Spirit of God comes and makes you know that you know who you are in, in Jesus, that you carry His Spirit inside of you. And it's not every day you're going to feel it, but you're going to know it every day. But every moment, every now and again, as the moments come, and, and they become more and more, as we become more aware of it, the power of God comes in dramatic fashion. Let me tell you this, this morning, when He says, you shall receive power, it's not just only in the miraculous it's meaning the power, and I believe this is just as miraculous, the power, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you to say no to sins that you weren't able to before. You will have power to have joy no matter the circumstance. You shall have power to live with your heart at peace no matter what is going on. Why? Because Romans tells us that the fruit of the, 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 fruit of the kingdom is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. If you have the Holy Spirit, the power of God will activate your Christianity. It won't be a drudgery. It won't be trying hard. It won't be pushing through. The, power, the Holy Spirit leads us to more righteousness, leads us into joy, leads us into peace. The power of God. Number one, you have power. Number two this morning, just to let you know, in two weeks' time, we will be preaching on healing and understanding a bit of a theology on that. So if you've got questions, we will come back in two weeks' time. But for this morning, number one, you have power. Number two, you have purpose. Scripture goes on. You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Then it says, and you will be my witnesses. This is not just some power for, for, for no reason. This is not like a, an empty plug socket that has no purpose. What, I don't know what it really does. This light switch in the house. I don't even know what it's connected to. No, no, it says you have power for a reason, for a purpose. You will be my witnesses. Now, let me say it this way. The scripture doesn't say, you will be my businessmen who make money for the kingdom. It doesn't say, you will be my creatives. It doesn't say, you'll be my teachers. You'll be my mothers. No, no, no. It says this to Christians, one and all. It says, you will be my witnesses. Now, why am I saying that? Now, I'm not discrediting Christian people in the business sphere. I'm not discrediting people in creative spheres or in, in saying in, in seasons of mothering, in seasons of whatever God has called you to do. That's beautiful. But actually, that is not your purpose. Your primary purpose, that is, it helps outwork your purpose in that sphere. But your purpose, according to Scripture here in Acts 1, he says, you will be my witnesses. Now, let me tell you this. I, I remember reading this many times ago. But I don't have the gift of evangelism. That's somebody else's job. For many years, because of us at Life Change, we're always like, Wally. That's what he does. I'll be the nice guy who greets people. And that's fine. But actually, the scripture doesn't give us this, that caveat. Doesn't give us that way out. It says, you will be my witnesses. What does that mean, witnesses? It means this, a proclamation. It's, a, it's an invitation to know Christ and make him known. If you want to know your purpose in life is this, know Christ, make him known. Know Christ, make him known. The Holy Spirit, when he comes upon you, the Bible tells us it gives us boldness. 
A boldness that was not, that's unnatural. That's not our natural makeup. Ah, oh, but I'm a shy guy. Yeah, but the Holy Spirit is not a respective person. So he'll put boldness in your heart. The man G.K. Chesterton said this. He said, if you're wanting to be a man who's a witness for Jesus Christ, he says, a burning heart leads to a flaming tongue. I, I love that quote. A burning heart leads to a flaming tongue. Because for many years, I thought, once we've done a number of courses on how to reach friends for Jesus, how to speak about Jesus. Once I've done a course or an evangelism course, now there's nothing wrong with doing that. I think it's good to be equipped. But actually, the Bible, I believe, says if your heart, what your heart is burning for, your mouth will not be able to stop speaking about. When I met Fiona, all my friends knew about it. I told them we were dating before we were actually dating. It almost backfired on me when Fiona's like, I'm not sure we should do this. I'm like, I've told everyone already. I've sent out the Evite for our wedding. We've only known each other for two weeks. But you see, that's the thing. When your heart's on fire, you cannot stop speaking about it. I want to tell you, this is who God has called us to be. We are witnesses, burning hearts leading to flaming tongues. Now, this is the thing, though. Many people, and I've used this many times, saying, actually, Francis of Assisi says this way, preach the gospel, and if necessary, use words. Unfortunately, it's wrong. Because the gospel comes by hearing the word of God. Now, let me say this. If you say, actually, I'm just going to smile and be a lovely person, and, and that's it. That's great, but that's baseline Christianity. No one has the gift of smiling. We all call to spread his joy, his love to people. But the Bible actually says this, says that we are supposed to speak about it. Let me say it this way. Our brothers and sisters in North Korea, in Syria, our Christian brothers and sisters are not being killed and persecuted because they're smiling nicely. They're being killed because they're speaking about Jesus. I have, to, I have to bring us in a suburban reality to know this is the reality. Heaven and hell reality resides in this matter. And actually, so much so that the text, if you go look at the ancient word, the witness there, the word, the Greek word is martyrero, which means martyr. You shall be my martyrs. This is not some light and fluffy language Jesus is using. One man said it this way, every Christian is here is either a missionary or an imposter. There's no categories for, I've, I've no, you live, live as a Christian for 10 years, then I can share. Let me, let me get to my life in order, then I can speak. Yes, there's something so-called as moral authority. If you're stealing at work, it's not a great thing to get up and preach about Jesus. Stop stealing, 100%. But actually, we don't have to have it all right before we speak, before we tell of who Jesus is to you and I two stories before we move to our third and final point, is the other day, I, I missed it. I was at an event, met these people who I knew were far from God. I'm speaking to him. And, and, and the incredible thing, it just, I felt such love for these people. I was like, this is amazing. And just, there was a connection. And, 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 I, and I understand the idea of the long game and all that about actually befriend people. But there was a moment where they literally said to me, what's different about you? I'm like, oh my gosh, this is literally what they, what we told will happen, but never happens. What's different about you? Now, my mind went, play the long game. Play the long game. Don't tell them now about Jesus right now because it's a bit awkward, not the environment for it. So I said, oh, you know what? I made a facetious joke about my character and moved on. Now, I missed it because I, I actually I went home going, yeah, they, they thought I was a lovely guy, but I didn't tell them about Jesus. They're crying out for actually that reality of who Jesus was. But the good news is that God is very kind, and we're going to show a video, we'll show it next week. But there's a man at the moment, I've told stories about this guy, Claude, who's in Estonia, doing with a business, and a man who's on fire for Jesus, who got saved six months ago. 
that day when he got saved, that, or the day when he, before he got saved, when I met him in a coffee shop. I just had coffee with my friend Benny, and then I remember telling Benny, I'm nervous to meet this guy because I think he's quite opposed to Christianity. Just by the demeanor. I didn't even know this guy really. I couldn't, I didn't even know what he looked like. He just sent me an email. I need to meet with you. And I remember he walked in, waved Benny goodbye. I'm, Here we go. See what this guy, I sat down. And the guy, he, Claude, laid, plainly laid it out saying, I've got problems, I need help, but I don't want that your religion. Just to put it out there, disclaimer. I've got problems, I need help, so I need your advice, but I don't want any of that religious stuff. And I said to him, I remember that the courage of God came in a coffee shop. I said, you know what, I'd love to hear your story, I'd love to give you advice, but just to let you know, I'm not going to give you my religion anyway, but I'd love to tell you, I'll be, I'll be wrong of me if I don't tell you about Jesus by the end of this conversation. He said, that's okay. At the end of the meeting, I remember I, I spoke I, as best I could. I told the gospel to him about who Jesus was. And to be honest, I didn't think I did a good job. I was going, ah, oh, left out that part. Oh, I don't know if I even, I don't know if I did a great job. But God is faithful, not to our perfection or our ability to do it. He's faithful to our obedience. And in that moment that I spoke that, uh, this man Claude, tears started running down his eyes. And he says, I love what you're saying. I just can't believe it for me. And I said, that's okay. But let's trust what God would do. But God's word was at work. And a mere few weeks later, that man gave his life to Jesus. And his life has never been the same since. Now, I want to tell you that God is faithful to our obedience. When we take him at his word, we read his word. We consume it until it consumes us. We believe it and then we act on it. God is faithful. You have power. Secondly, you have purpose. And thirdly, there is a plan. Scripture says, You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. You'll be my witnesses. He says to these bunch of scared disciples who are nervous of the Romans, who are nervous of the Jewish leaders, who are nervous of everyone left, right, and center. He says to them, you're going to be my witnesses at church on a Sunday. No. When, you, when, when, you, when you're all together in a happy place and there's a nice keyboard in the background and people are open to the gospel. No. He says, you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. In a one small sentence, he said, boys, this is not small. We're going global with this thing. And it's you. I can imagine the massive eyes there, these guys who had, who had never really gone very far in their life. That probably Caesarea Philippi probably was the, the furthest they had been with Jesus. And even there, they probably felt a bit guilty going that far. Because they were good Jewish boys. Stay here. Keep it here. Keep it here. And Jesus now is saying, no, you're going to take this message that is antagonistic at best to these people. You're going to take the message to them. In that moment, he takes the earthly limitations off them. He puts heavenly expectations on them. And, and what he's saying in this moment, he says, it's a geographic understanding. He says, I'm giving you power. I'm giving you authority. I'm giving you favor here in Jerusalem with those you know. In Jerusalem, those, your people you've grown up with. I tell you, every time I go back to Durban, I've got an uncle who does not know Jesus. And every time I meet with him, I hang out with him, I connect with him, I love him, but I tell him about Jesus every time. He has yet to make a decision for Christ. He goes, no, it's, mm, yeah, yeah, no, you're right, you're right. But nothing happens. But I go, I, every time, can I tell you how hard it is to tell people about Jesus when you know them, when they're your family? But I'm going, I don't know how long he's got. I don't know how long I've got. But I'm going to tell him about Jesus because my heart's burning. My, flat, my, my tongue has to speak. He says, I'm going to give you power, authority, favor for those who know you here. He says also, not only here in Jerusalem, in Judea and Samaria. He says, I'm going to give you power, authority, favor for those who are different to you. For those who are even opposed to you. You see, the Samaritans were despised. They were hated by Jewish people. They were the half-breeds. They were the people that 
they just, you don't even associate with them. And Jesus in this same sentence said, I'm going to give you power to go and reach them. This is bringing into this topic a racial reconciliation to people who are not like you, who are those who don't think the same, who don't eat the same. You're going to go to those people. I'm going to give you favor, authority, anointing to reach them. He also says, and even to the ends of the earth, to those you don't even know. Now let me tell you, I just hopefully you'll be able to, we can go and read the book of Acts in the next few days, months, however long it takes you. But just to let you know what happens is this was not just a statement that Jesus, a poetic statement. This actually happened. Acts chapter 1 to chapter 7, the disciples preach where? In Jerusalem. And people get saved. And God, and they get thrown in jail. And they, get, they have power to see sick people healed. And it's a radical stuff. Power and purpose happening in Jerusalem. Acts chapter 8 to Acts chapter 12. Because of persecution, the church have to run for their lives and hide for their lives. Where do they run? They run into Judea and Samaria. Acts chapter 8 to 12 is in Judea and Samaria where they preach because, and they're not happy and feeling all fuzzy about it. They're running for their lives, but they're preaching because we've got power, we're witnesses. Okay, we're going to preach. And power comes and people get saved, people get healed, people get set free out of prison. Acts 8 to 12. Then Acts chapter 13, a man named Saul becomes Paul. He gets set apart. In Acts chapter 13 to Acts chapter 28, they go to the ends of the earth. This thing happens in the book of Acts. But here's the thing that I love, is that when this was spoken, you and I were the ends of the earth. We were the ends of the earth. We were the unlikeliest. If they had not gone, you and I would not be here. If they had not taken this seriously, that we have power and we have purpose and there is a plan, you and I would not be sitting here listening and going, That's, thank you Jesus for salvation. We would not know this. I want to tell you the amazing thing, it's not just geography, it's also people. The amazing thing, if you go read in John chapter 3 and chapter 4, you see Jesus has not just spoken something that he hasn't already done. In John chapter 3, he goes to Jerusalem, he meets a man named Nicodemus, who is just like him, a Pharisee, and he leads him to, leads him to salvation. In John chapter 4, Jesus says, leaving Jerusalem, he goes to the Judean countryside, where he preaches and many get saved. Then he says, leaving Judea, going on the way to Galilee, he stops in Samaria, where he meets the woman at the well, and that woman gets saved. People on the boy, imagine the disciples, we shouldn't be here, but they, Jesus says, no, there's a woman here that we need to meet. And because of that woman, the chapter 4 ends with that woman going and telling a whole village, and the village say, this Jesus you told us about truly is the savior of the world. Two chapters, Jesus models this thing for us. Jude- Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, ends of the earth. And actually, it's not about just geography. It's about people. What Claire pray, prayed and what Brett prayed, there's some, there's, maybe there's, we're going to Ireland for one person. We trust for many more, but maybe there's one person. God's saying, I will, I'm so committed to people. I will send them. I will uproot them from Cape Town, make them inconvenient, uncomfortable. They'll have to leave their friends behind. But I'm so committed to that one person who needs to hear this. Not to be just smiled at. Not just to be befriended, but who needs to know the gospel. Because there's a power. There's a purpose. There's a plan. As I land, there's a story that I love. A man named Chris Venant who started Glenridge Church that Rory dies from and that Mark came from. And Chris Venant said for years, he did church. And church was amazing. Rocking. Great worship. Great preaching. The church grew. And um, it was exciting. It was in the 80s and things were good. And uh, bright, bright colored shirts and bad music. And uh, he went on... He went on a trip one day. He thought, actually, they went on a mission trip into the, the, the Far East Asia. And they got in a taxi, and on their way there, the, the lady who was driving the taxi said, in broken English, so what are you doing here? And they said, no, we, we, we're here for church. Church, church. 
what, what's that? I don't, un- I don't understand. They're like, ah, oh, okay, what's a different way we can say it? They, they try to explain. Uh, they said, actually, oh, we're here for ministry. She goes, ah, oh, government, government. They go, no, 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 not government. And eventually, after trying many times to explain this to this lady, they said, okay, baseline, you know Jesus. And she looked at him and she said, I don't think he lives around here. This, they, they said, this is the first time they came across, because they come from Durban, a Christian bubble, the first time they came upon a person who had never even heard the name of Jesus. And he said, from that moment, his heart broke. He says, I cannot go back and do church the same. I cannot do that as if there's no, up to this date, there's 2.1 billion unreached people in the world. Not lost people. There's many more lost people. But I want to tell, maybe saying, oh yeah, there's a lost guy in, in my office. Well, he's, he's lost, but he's not unreached because you're there. But I want to tell you that there's nations, 2.1 billion people who have never heard the gospel. And, and I, I don't know about you, but the reason, years ago, the reason why I came to Cape Town was because I believed this. I was 21 years old, in my bedroom, was offered a job at a church in Durban that I loved with my best friends. I thought this was amazing. I read the scripture as my mate Smith Wigglesworth told me, and I got to Genesis 12, and it says, Abraham, by faith, left his country and went to a land God will show him. And I know God doesn't always speak like that just directly with every scripture, but for me it was that. I wrote it on my walls for, we, uh, for months. I wrote it on paper and put it up, and I prayed. I thought, And the more I prayed, I felt God saying, actually, you, you're going to move from here because there's people who need to hear about my gospel. And I, and I was 21 years old, and I told people, I told my friends, and my friends said to me, you're an idiot. This is what we've dreamt about. We've built this youth group to the size. You're taking it over. It's going to pump. It's amazing. You've got authority in the city. People know you. And I said, I feel God's spoken. And, and I moved to Cape Town. It's not, maybe it's, it's not Ireland, it's not Kazakhstan, but for a 21-year-old who had never, who had just known Zimbabwe and Durban and mom and dad, that was huge for me. Moved here, did not know anybody. But I go, I look back and I go, seven, eight years ago, and I go, God, you've been faithful. Many people, if it was just for Claude, but if it was just for this guy, but I could name people and go, thank you, God, that you would use me. But I feel the stirrings of God again saying, do you still believe that gospel? That I still speak. And I still send people. That actually, and I, I think my, what I'm landing here this morning is to tell you and I that this gospel of Acts 1, 6 to 8 is what it means to be a Christian. Not what it means to be a hyped up, really spiritual Christian. If you believe in Jesus, this is your story day one. This is what you saved into, not graduated into. You have power. You have purpose. And there's a plan. And it's bigger than we could ever know. So I land with this thought here. As we get older, some of us, maybe I'm just realizing as I get a little bit older as a dad, still very young, but as we get older, we realize, I don't know about you, I started hearing stories about Brett breaking his leg, and, and I'm like, oh, I'm not going to do that stuff, you know, in the natural. You know, oh, I'm not, I don't think I'm going to do the five-a-side sock anymore because I, my, when I get a little knock, I don't get better as quick as I used to. I don't know about you guys. You know, when you get older, you start, when you're young, 20, you're like, let's jump off the cliff. Ah, it's like fun. You know? Now I get to the cliff, I'm like, I'll meet you at the bottom. And I walk down. Because it's just wisdom. And there's something of wisdom about that. But I think spiritually, can we, can we not be like that? Can we not be like people? I, as I was praying, I want to prophesy over people who follow Jesus maybe for years that this word would ignite and say, this is who I'm called to be. Not a maturer, safer maturity doesn't look like safety in the scripture. Maturity looks like more radical obedience. These are our roots. 
They're starting to show. I pray that you and I would start to believe it with all our hearts. Life changes, Milton. Your roots are showing, and it's a glorious thing. You have power. You have purpose. Here's a plan. Let's stand. This morning, I would love to get everyone up here and pray for people. I'd love to, there's something I've always would love to, is to get everyone in the congregation on the stage and say, look out, that's our congregation. Because I think we've got to know that we are not the congregation. We're not. We're not here to do a service for Christians. This is us saying, this is what we live for. We live for to reach those people who are far from Christ. That's what we do. We don't have time this morning, and actually I believe God's saying, it's not when someone lays their hands on you. It's not when somebody prays a prayer. It's when your heart believes what he's spoken. Read the word. Consume it till it consumes you. Believe it, then act on it. So I want to pray. If you've got faith, can you lift your hands to heaven? Let's ask God to do this in our hearts. Father, I thank you that your desire is to fill us. Your desire is to come upon us. Your desire is to move toward us. Your desire is to come in us, to give us authority to give us favor, for us to know your presence. I thank you, Father God, right now in this moment, you say in your word, you shall receive power when the Spirit of God comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. I thank you right now, you're taking off the lids of limitation, the lids of experience. God, we as a people say we will not let our experience water down the word of God. We will not let our lack of experience water down the word of God. If we've prayed for people and they have not got better, we'll say we'll still pray again because your word said lay hands on the sick. If we have, if we've stepped on faith and shared the gospel and people have turned away and walked away from us, we won't get despondent. We'll share it again. I thank you, Father, today. You're reminding us of who we are right now. You're saying your roots are showing. And I thank you, Father God, that we believe you. I thank you, God, for my friends right now. I thank you, God, for every heart in this room. I pray, Father God, fill us with your power. Fill our hearts with your purpose. Fill our hearts with this plan that you've got for us. Thank you, Father God, for today on a day when we pray a couple out to Ireland, even maybe stirring hearts here to say, God, what about me? What about us to go and plant a church somewhere? What about us to go and reach somebody in a different city, nation? God, would you do that with some of us? I pray with all of us, would we start tomorrow, step out our front door saying, the nations are here. I thank you for this. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen.